This is The Extra Mile. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Extra Mile. I'm Justin. I'm always here with the G5. Hey, George, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm great. And we're also here with Caleb. Hey, Caleb. hey Very good. Now we're all introduced. Got to make sure my posture is good. I'm watching these videos, and my I posture know. is just like, I just feel like I'm falling into the microphone. <laughs> so just constantly. That's why I was talking. We need to get a higher table. Yeah, holy hands. Just kind of do this. <laughs> Fixes it. When you're preaching, what do you do with your hands? I do a lot of this because I don't know what to do with my hands. And for those who are just listening, George is waving his arms around in the air. When you're up there, that's the biggest fear. What do you do with your hands? So you're stuck with two options, this, this. So do nothing or Pockets. do everything. And you're like, there needs to be a middle ground. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Do you choose pockets? Hide or expose. Your coffee, sir. Get that coffee. Did you clean out your mug, Caleb? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not a camera lens. It's an actual mug. If uh, While we're pouring the coffee, if you like what you hear, make sure to like, subscribe, follow, do all the things. Help us out. Uh, we love you. Hope you love us. And send us coffee if you have some. Yeah. We'll be glad to take the donations. We'll drink it on camera. Oh, man. Now, Father's Day is coming up, so I figured we'd talk about... Fathers, there's two dads here, um, and there's a dog dad over here. I'm also a plant dad on the side. Did you say plant dad? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Plant dad. That's Do you cool. have a green thumb? <laughs> no. Oh. No, it, it turns into plant parenthood oh. very quickly. <laughs> but <laughs> That might be a bad joke. <laughs> How many plants have you murdered? Um, but I try, and, um, you know, I try. I don't know how. I like the idea of being a plant dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not murdering plants. So I have a few in my office. You know, we I think we tried that early on as we were going to be surrounded by plants. We did. And then I shut the door in a dark room. <laughs> and I came back. <laughs> well, to not living plant. <laughs> they were dead. <laughs> uh, Apparently photosynthesis is important. It's pretty planted. yeah, the sunlight part really important. But sunlight, S-U-N. Maybe we can learn something from the Bible here about parenting children that Don't makes us more successful. Don't put them in a dark room. <laughs> Don't put them in a dark room. <laughs> Maybe on Tuesdays. Oh, man. What is your favorite Bible-like passage on fatherhood? Or just even like your favorite dad in the, in the Bible? My favorite dad? Yeah. I don't know. My first thought goes to the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son. That's a good one. That's pretty good. That's pretty standard, I would think. Yeah. I think if, uh, if that a... wasn't the first thing that came to my mind, then uh, I would either be really... I don't know. I I have always liked that story because the dad is always looking out for his son. Like it's at the conclusion of the story. Maybe we should just read it in its entirety. Sure. I'm but, pulling uh, it up now. Matthew chapter. Luke 15. Not Matthew at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is my favorite parable that Jesus does give. The lost coin. Oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah, that one's pretty good, too. <laughs> but I'm thinking more of the compassionate father here, the prodigal son. Verse 11. 
you read it. You're a better reader than I am. Well, thank you. Yes. No, I think we're all good readers. We're just going to trade off word for word. Let's see if we do it ad hoc. Ready, right. Caleb? You start? No. Okay. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. You can tell he's just a dad dog. Yeah. Dog dad. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Luke 15, chapter 11. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Yeah. And it keeps going, but we'll stop there, I guess. Stop there. The main focus is always is the first song, right? The, then the second part's on the second song, um, which is really good. I mean, if you want to keep going, you can. Well, uh, okay, we, we'll just keep going. And sure. This is good. Luke 15, 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But, as yet, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. Nice. Nice. That's Man, a good dad. Siblings. Yeah. Yeah, it is a really good dad. Well, and it expresses a lot of feelings. I mean, and that's what I like about it is that it's very relatable where there's jealousy and there's envy and there's uh, basically a lack of understanding and the father being passionate, but then also knowing. 
his rationale that Jesus puts into the father, the character of this story, is a lesson for us all. No, it is. That's a great father. Something that stuck out to me, and I've been talking about this with Paige for a while when it comes to just parenting and, you know, fatherhood, is the intentional lack of control that he has over his kids. He sets the example. Obviously, the kids know what to do. They know what's right and wrong, hence the repentant heart at the end when he says, wow, it's much better with my father. And he knows he's doing wrong when he leaves his father's, but his father's house. But he's just, the son there at the very beginning is very aggressive. He's like, give me my inheritance. When do you receive inheritance? After your father's death. Yeah. He's like, no, just give it to me right now. Is dad like, yeah, no, go pound sand and go feed the dogs, you know, um, Go do what you're supposed to. And he actually gives him his inheritance and then lets him leave. Obviously, this is an example of how God um, works with those that he, with us, um, has a relationship with us, right? He's not going to control us and and things like that. He's going to give us a chance to uh, have free will. And so then he leaves and then he comes back. And when he comes back again, he's not necessarily controlling He's saying, hey, let's celebrate. Let's rejoice in this moment here. And then the older son as well, he's not forcing his son here to go and be happy and hang out. Instead, he he just kindly and rightly says, hey, look, this is, he was lost and now he's found. I think sometimes we, as parents, really want to control our kids and obviously there is a sense of control in which we need to guide them. But man, I don't know. Control can easily lead to um, secrecy real fast. That's a good point. Um, we are like, he's really controlling. How do I do what I want to do mm-hmm. and still do, you know, get away with it? And, and that's when, and it may start off small. I'm just going to buy this thing real fast. You see some spouses do that. You know, you can have a really controlling spouse, and so they'll buy something with cash or something, you know, to kind of be rebellious. Well, the idea trickles down too. you know, I, I'm just talking here. This seems to be jumping out at me. Feel free to push back against against this idea. But really letting your kids... You know, guiding them and setting examples is really important and more important than just controlling Setting them. the rules. Yeah, setting the rules, saying this is the way it is and forcing them to do, you know, things that you want them to do, but sometimes you don't do yourselves. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think you're on to something. Um, I was reading something this morning on fatherhood as we were preparing, and when, you know, when do you think kids learn, like, look at you and learn the most about you and how you act in the world. We spend a lot of time in the car. Man, we spend hours and hours and hours in the car. We're buckled in. We're strapped in. We're ready to go. And they have nothing to look at except, you know, the window and you. And how often when we are driving do we get so frustrated? Driving makes us, like, makes us so angry and 
irritable. It really brings out the worst in us. And that is when they see us, or at least are forced to see us by law, the most. And it really made me question, man, I need to, even in the most stressful situations, even when we're out on four wheels and the the probability of dying is much higher, I need to make sure that I'm keeping my cool and setting the standard. Because I can tell them what the standard is all day long, but I need to actually be the standard too. And I think, how many times have I just got angry behind the wheel and blew off? Or the other day, I, I went and got a McGriddle, right? It's my favorite. Well, my favorite breakfast is a McGriddle. And I... It's so unfair that you can eat a McGriddle and look like... <laughs> I didn't eat anything else the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, well, that's probably one. <laughs> okay. Um, I get a McGriddle. I pull out a McDonald's, and we're headed back to the church. I got them pancakes and stuff like that, so I'm ready to go. I open the McGriddle because I'm going to eat it in peace before I unleash syrup onto them. Mm-hmm. And they forgot the eggs. Mm. I was so mad. <laughs> I'm literally eating two pancakes, cheese, and bacon. I was like, where is my eggs? All right. Said, you know, the first century millennial or the 21st century millennial. Um, so horrible. Right, they don't need to see that. You know, they they need to know that. Oh man, I didn't get my way. I didn't get my order just right. So what? You know, so cool. They don't need to see that. Dad's angry because he forgot his eggs on his McGriddle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a dumb analogy, but no, it's not. I mean, I think we've sort of established that the father figures are uh, God, and so God is the model. Um. God can easily be the model for justice and obedience and wrath. And this story especially is the father of compassion and understanding. The father willingly letting him go. And with your idea of setting an example, it really sort of um, holds the mirror up to me and saying, well, the one triggering thing for me is when my kids don't obey me. And it makes me flip my lid and just there it is bloop, lid is flipped i'm interested in the etymology of that what's what's that? why do they say that flipping your lid maybe that's bad we'll edit that out anyway um just to say that's what upsets me is when my kids don't obey me um and i don't really impose harsh <laughs> restrictions I want them to be safe, you know, so no internet access unless it's supervised. Of course, my kids are, my son is 10, turning on 11, but, you know, he has access to movies and um, videos. He plays with his friends a lot. That was an interesting, do your kids ever run around the neighborhood and play outside? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a bit of a sort of a, okay, don't go three houses down. Okay, don't go two houses down. Okay, well, you went five houses down, so now we have to go to one house down as a punishment. Again, I'm a pretty laid-back parent, almost too laid-back, because the other day I was – I just told my kids, hey, I just do that. You want to go play? Go play outside. You know not to go in the street. I told you not to go in the street. You have your sister looking out for you not to go in the street. Go play outside. And so I let them go play outside. And when they need to get in the car, I let them go get in the car, and they can get in the car by themselves, both of them. And the other day – our neighbor drove by, and he literally stopped because my kids were outside trying to get in the car. And he stopped in the middle of the road and was just watching them. I'm like, what are you doing? 
And I come out there. He's a nice guy. He's an elder at another church. And he's like, I'm just watching your kids. I saw them alone. I didn't want them to, to be alone if they're they're alone. And he's just an old dude. It, it's nothing creepy. He just was a little overprotective. And, of course, I get a little sensitive. Sure. Like, get out of here. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. That is very – it is. It takes a lot of – what you're saying, trust, right? Yeah. To, hey, go three houses down, go two houses down. Um, well, then when my son goes 12 houses down, <laughs> sort of like, pretty sure we established that you can only go four houses down or whatever it is. He's like, I thought you could times that by <laughs> by four. <laughs> well, and that's that's what teaches me as a dad is having my kids. Okay, well, I don't think my restrictions are harsh. Yeah. Um, I definitely am very open with the rationale of why. No, this is why you can't. Like, this is why you shouldn't just have access to sugar constantly. I think that's so important. Communication with kids, right? Right. Telling them why and giving them reasons, even at a young age. Because they're sponges. They're absorbing so much. Mm -hmm. They're not dumb. Yes, at an early age, they may not understand everything you say, Mm -hmm. but they are soaking up. Not just everything you say, but everything you do as well. On to that point. Hold on to that point. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators. Good job. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And live in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. All right. Be imitators of God. And then it goes down to the next, at the end of that chapter, talking about household, wives, and husbands. And then it begins with chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment, accompanied by a promise, namely that it will go well for you and that you will live a long time on the earth. And I love this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When do you think fathers provoke their children to anger? Or parents in general, because it can apply to as mothers as well. Well, if you, from what my wife tries to show me every now and then is because I actually tease my son. <laughs> sure, I could see that if your kid's sensitive. But also, if you don't give them a reason why. If you don't tell them and communicate with them. You give them the rule, and now they're thinking about what they can't do constantly mm-hmm. because you told them not to do that, but you never told them why. And then they do it because they're four or six or eight. And then you're upset. All right, you, you and the kid's confused and, and angry. He's angry with you. Um, there is that idea of lack of communication is a way that we can provoke our kids to anger. Um, you, you want I like that. to, you know, not do that, give them a reason um, to not be upset. That means giving them a reason for why they can or cannot do something. Um, give them a reason for why you're setting this standard. Um, uh, this is what I've, I, I've noticed. I like that. That's a good point. It makes me wonder why didn't God in the garden, whenever it talks about, okay, you can do anything you want except eating from this tree. And then, well, the, well he did give them a reason. Well, because the consequence of this is that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. He did. He did give them a reason. <clears throat> and she knew because she later, when she's talking to the serpent, elaborates. Mm-hmm. Right. So she, they, were, they were given more information or Adam 
maybe spelled out some more mm-hmm. some more information to her so she she knew why it wasn't just don't do this um that's a good example yeah i because uh, that's one of the things like okay the instruction for us in the new law what are the things we're supposed to abstain from and that might even bring up a question of like where does morality come from where the things that we should abstain from uh where's those running lists where it's like don't do this and don't do that like the law yeah well it's like it's in um when he's uh, uh Boy, I didn't prepare this at all. Exodus. No, like in the New Testament when Paul is basically saying these people won't inherit the kingdom. Oh, and he's like... Revilers, extortioners. Oh, there's several passages. That's what I was saying. uh, With that. um, Yeah. Um, It's like, which one do you want to go to? There's some in Colossians. Let's do Colossians. But what what are you thinking with that? Well, the instruction coming from the new law. So we say, okay, we have free will. So God allows us to, as you said with the prodigal son, that God allows us to have free will and we can we can take our inheritance and leave and go into the world and do what we want. Of course, the, the fact that he had spent all his money and then a famine befell the land, <laughs> it's sort of... Uh, it's a little bit of an exclamation point at the end of that, a sort of a calamity befalling him. But a famine, you know, it's not singly focused. It's not because he made a mistake and then the famine was just on him. The famine was on everybody. And so when life throws these little curveballs at you, you know, his mind went back to the safety of his father, but then the humility of that as well. So the instruction coming from the New Testament it's things that we should stay away from. God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Um, I'm in Colossians 3. Is that kind of close? Yeah, to that's 5. Right? Verse 5 is what you're talking about. So Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, this is the instruction from Paul about how we're supposed to behave. So this is the limitations that God puts on us and the justifications of why. And so the example is... Not that we can return to the world and just do what we want. So there, there is instruction here, which is why we look to the Bible for these things. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Okay, we don't want immorality. And so the concept of morality, where does morality come from? We want to be dead to immorality, impurity, passion. That's one for me because I'm a passionate person evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Okay. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now also, so in that verse, verse 7, it's talking about when the prodigal son says, before he was the prodigal, when the son says, give me my stuff and let me go, and Mm -hmm. I want to go live my life. So they were once living in them, verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. And this is the instruction to us as Christians and those who want to become Christ. 
put them all aside. Anger. There's your driving <laughs> and your, your lack of eggs. Yeah. Wrath. Well, wrath. God says that vengeance is mine. So put aside anger and wrath. Malice. What does y'all's version say? Malice. Malice. Does it say malice? Uh, let me. What does malice mean? Look. So I have malice. What verse is that? Because I was looking at a comparable. Uh, I just a, a parallel. It. It's the intention or desire to do evil or ill will. Yeah, mine says malice. So malice. Yeah. So put it, putting away anger, wrath, malice, the intention to do evil, slander, so lying, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's your point about that the father, the prodigal son father, set the example. And that's the image that we're modeling ourselves after. Yeah. And so whenever we are considering these things and how to live and how to make choices and the example that we're setting for our kids. That's also where we want to be as well. We want to put aside anger, wrath, malice, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And so you're exactly right. Those times that we're tempted when we're driving, whenever our McGriddle doesn't have the egg in it, whenever our, our DoorDash order gets lost or somebody steals something from us or, um, Let's go even further. Like when someone steals money from you or your house gets robbed or uh, did I tell you about that time that I came out of my house and somebody had taken a tire off of my car? No, what? <laughs> Break it down. So it was back before I had my truck. Uh, I had a Ford Fusion and I liked that car because it was paid off. And uh, I come out to take my son to school like you do. And I noticed that my car was <laughs> a little lower than it used to be, like the night before. And I came out, and somebody had taken a, a wheel off of my car in the middle of the night. What in the world? This is at my current house here in Lubbock. And I come out, and like one of my wheels is missing. And so literally my rotor is sitting on... My concrete driveway. They didn't bother leaving the jack. They were just like, yeah, let's take that too. No, they gave a, they gave me a little cinder block, but I guess they couldn't get it to fit. And so <laughs> the cinder block was next to it. They didn't even <laughs> bother to put the car on the cinder block. So it was, it was really upsetting. It was really upsetting to then say like, well, I can't go anywhere. And then I couldn't even get my car jacked up to get the spare tire on it. Sure. And so I had to get creative and eventually I did. And so we got Samuel to school and I got my spare on. The, <laughs> um, and then to like, have you ever tried to replace a wheel? You always can, like, you're, I'm not a tire, like the wheel and the hub. It was very challenging. Oh, man. And so my, I called my dad and, uh, and I said, and my mom, and I said, I'm really upset. And they found some junkyard in Texas that had a Ford fusion wheel that was the same as okay. mine. And so they bought it for me. And I actually went out to wrench apart and I found one that would fit and worked. Um, and so I got a tire put on it. And so all in all, it was a very frustrating situation. And then doubly so because 
they didn't even bother to put it on a cinder block. You're about to say something. <laughs> I, the, he saw the mic get slowly yeah. pulled over. <laughs> I see it out of my That's peripheral, but the, mic, the mic's being prepared. Usually I have mine all the way back because I, I don't want to hear let, let y'all hear me smacking on coffee over here. But I love that we're talking about this because for me, I'm not a parent. But um, over the past three or four days, I have had so many frustrations. We are very excited. We're very blessed because we just got a new house. But there are so many things that have gone wrong, not necessarily with the house, but like internet and furniture that we purchased that didn't have all the parts to it. And Mm -hmm. the 15,000 trips that I've had to make to the furniture store because they forgot one thing, but then they forgot another thing and then they forgot another thing. And so like the one thing sometimes can be a little bit frustrating. I'm like, all right, it's fine. You know, it's all good. But the continual building compounding on it where you're like, oh, everything, everything is going wrong. There's nothing going right in my life is where I lose perspective. But I think for myself and then potentially other people that are listening, you know, even if you're you're married or you're not married yet, if you don't have kids, perspective and something that you can work on early on before you potentially have kids where you can start to build on that perspective and making sure that, you know, you keep what's most important in mind. It's just a thing. It's going to get fixed. If it doesn't get fixed, it's not the end of the world. Um, because you know, ultimately God's in control. And I think sometimes those things are put in our lives to truly test us to help build things that we might potentially be weak in. And I mean, that's the devil at work as well. But, um, I love that we're talking about this cause I hadn't really thought about it until just now. Like, man, I have been pretty frustrated over the past couple of days. <laughs> so it's helping me get perspective on it. And as prone well. to anger, malice, and wrath. <laughs> yeah. Just pure rage. Yeah. Well, optimum, so- optimum internet heard that wrath yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, it's so, it's good that the concept of being blessed and saying, well, why am I upset about an internet service provider? Or, why I'm upset about paying my taxes or why I'm upset about my job or about any of the stressors of life. I was, uh, the dishes not being done. Oh, horrible. It's always my fault. Um, I was talking to my daughter the other day and this is a very shallow explanation or answer. So it can go deeper or it could be the wrong advice, but she was really upset about how her day was ruined, how someone ruined her day. And it it was mainly her because she had made the wrong decision. And I just simply just told her, I was like, look, you want to have a good day? Then make good choices. I know there's a lot of things that is very shallow because there's a lot of things that we can't control. And we will just have bad days based on things that just happen to us that are out of our control. But either way, even on those worst days, we can make them the, the best possible days even if they're the worst days because we decided to make the right choice mm-hmm. and we're in control of our reaction that exactly. And that goes back to, and that's what you, that's all you can control. And that's what I was trying to tell her. And that goes back to the prodigal son is when you know, he realized, uh, maybe I should make the right choice here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Well, but he didn't come home and demand, Hey, I'm, I'm back. Take me back. No. He he absolutely knew through humility. And it's what we talked about in previous episodes. And it seems to be a running theme where 
the impetus of coming to Christ mm-hmm. almost stems from a rock bottom moment. And one could say that if your job is feeding pigs and you desire because you're starving to eat what the pigs are eating, and yet he can't because you'll lose your job. <laughs> that was that's kind of a rock bottom moment for this character, and especially in the in the time that the Bible says that there was a famine going on. So these are dire circumstances. Yeah. This was a rock bottom moment, and it's an impetus for change. It was a, huh? I'm starting to think rationally about my life, and so the pleasures are gone, and you're you're left with the bitter aftertaste of that kind of living. And it's nothing that we've all experienced this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the human condition and God is that we're all in this world and we all have experienced that. Not one of us is perfect. Right. We've all sinned. And so all of us can relate to that story. So that goes to my favorite dad in the Bible. And that is Genesis chapter five. This is a long list of genealogies, and you wonder, how does it pertain to fatherhood? What what in the world? You're like, Jared, Methuselah, Lamech, all these people. Well, Enoch, what do we know about Enoch? Right, that he disappeared, that God took him away. Isn't that, that an Apple device, an Enoch? It, is it? Is that bad? <laughs> it would be Enoch. Yeah, this episode's full oh. of dad jokes. <laughs> An electronic an knock. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> Zip it, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> verse 21. We always center on verse 24, but verse 21 is really important. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. The entire lifespan of Enoch was 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he disappeared because God took him away. Hit me the other day. This was a long time ago, but I was like, wow. We always focus on verse 24 because it's weird that he just disappeared or that he walked with God. (laughs) But look at verse 22. Like, he's living his life. He's living his life for 65 years, and then he becomes a father. And after, your version might say then, then he decides to walk with God. And how long did he walk with God? For 300 years. And how long did he live? For 365 years. So he walked with God after he had Methuselah, mm-hmm. after he became the uh, a father. I mean, maybe he had kids before. We don't know all this. This is kind of speculating. But it's inspiring to me that he had this moment of change too. And it was when he saw his son and he realized, you know, I need to be walking with God. I need to be setting an example. And he does. He becomes, as Bruce Springsteen said it, he becomes an ancestor and not a ghost from the past. He becomes an example that we can all live by and be guided by. And that walk with God means that there's this intimacy with him, right? James 4, 8 tells us, and draw close to God, and God's going to draw close to you as well. I love this quote here that says, The finality of death caused by sin and so powerfully demonstrated in the genealogies of Genesis is in fact not so final. Man was 
not born to die. He was born to live. And that life comes by walking with God. Walking with God is the key to the chains of the curse. And for fathers, especially today, it's so important. You know, mothers as well, parents, we need to be walking with God and set that example. And children are good or are good motivators to help us change. That was a good point, George. You said that you had had stored that that for three years. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was a uh, that was that was in the filing. Cabinet. I would not have gone to Genesis five and been like Enoch is my favorite father in the Bible. Um, but I think he might be now. Anyway, I think that's about time. So, go south.